0: And now Right Men swear by someone greater than themselves The oath confirms what is said But God wants to make the unchanging nature of his purpose Clear to the heirs of what was promised He wanted the promise to be so clear You could never doubt it again So there's two unchangeable things to make that promise clear Number one It's impossible for God to lie But somehow that doesn't quite do it for us It's a very rational thing God doesn't lie And we try and get it intellectually And it doesn't work It's very difficult to use your intellect to believe God. That's not what your intellect and rationality was designed for. You you see, you need to believe God on a heart level, on an emotional level. Otherwise you're going to go to and fro and to and fro. Who have fled to take take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. So God told us, I promise you this, any promise in the New Covenant we're talking about now, God has promised it to you to encourage you. And we have this hope. We have this hope. What hope is verse 19 referring to? It's referring to the hope that God has confirmed what he said in verse 17 with an oath. So God could have just said it to you. And that had have to have been enough. Because it's God. God doesn't lie. But he didn't just say it. He confirmed it with an oath. Why did he just not say it? Why did he confirm it with an oath? Surely it's just a bit rude to ask a God who can't lie to confirm what he's saying. That's a bit rude, isn't it? I mean, I, I've come back today. I've driven down from Telford. My wife and my children are still in Telford. Tomorrow, after Sunday morning at Dagenham, I'm going to drive back up to Telford and see them again. So uh, I was a bit late getting back to Dagenham because I didn't want to leave Telford until I said goodbye to my whole family. And my daughter was late coming out of the children's church. So she came out and I hugged her and I said, I'm going off now. I will see you tomorrow. Now, I don't lie to my daughter. If I say, I'll see you tomorrow, guess what? I'm going to see you tomorrow. That's how it's going to be. She said, are you really going to be back tomorrow, darling? I didn't say, you unbelieving heathen. (laughs) (laughs) I said, darling, I promise. Why did I do that? Why did God say, I promise? Why did God put an oath in place? Because the next verse here, verse 19, we have this hope, Because God put an oath, because God promised, because God swore, as an anchor for our soul. So God said, I swear I'm going to do it, and that anchors our mind, that anchors our emotions. Just like my daughter, Lydia, her emotions were anchored by me saying, I promise. Do you see what's happening here? Now, when you swear an oath in Bible days, you didn't just go, darling, I promise. You did something far greater And far more unforgettable. And by the time I finish this message today, you're not going to forget it. Turn me to Genesis fifteen and let's look at what happened to Abraham. Verse chapter fifteen, verse one. And after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Now, if you read chapter 14, you'll find out that Abraham who later on becomes Abraham, changes his name, he turned his back on a fortune. He rescued all of the goods and stuff that was stolen from the king of Sodom. And when he rescued it and brought it back, the king of Sodom said, mate, you've saved my kingdom, take whatever you like. And Abraham said, no way am I touching that stuff because I'm not having you turn around and say, you made me rich. I'm a man of God and I'm the king of Sodom turn around and say he made me rich so he turned his back on a fortune because he believed God and was a man of integrity and when he did that God showed up and said don't be afraid because I can imagine that Abraham walked away from the king's fortune and said yeah I'm not going to take your money walked out the door and thought what have I done and God turns up and says don't be afraid I am your shield I am your great reward but Abraham said, "O oh, sovereign Lord, what will you give me, seeing I remain childless? You see, all Abraham wanted was a child. And he couldn't have a child. Him and his wife had been trying for years, and they hadn't got a child. He says, And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, when I die, when my wife dies, then one of my servants is going to get all this stuff. And I love my servants, but I want to give all this stuff to somebody who looks like me. And that's natural. It's natural for us to want to have children, to want to have an inheritance, to want to give an inheritance to our children. And Abraham said, you have given me no children. It's your fault, God. You haven't healed me yet, God. You haven't got me that promotional work yet, God. It's your fault, God. And my servant's going to become my heir, and he's going to get the promotion, and they're getting healed, and they're getting blessed, and they're getting stuff, and they, they just look so happy all the time, and I, they get married, and I haven't got married. And it's just not fair. It's all your fault, God. You didn't do it. And the word of the Lord came to him. Now, at this stage, I think the Lord should have slapped him, but the Lord didn't slap him. The Lord's more kinder than us. And he says, this man's not going to be your heir, but a son coming from your own body is going to be your heir. And he took him outside. And he said, look at the heavens and count the stars. Now, Abraham came from a town called Ur. If you go to the British Museum, you'll find that Ur was one of the cities in the place of the Chaldeans, and they worshipped the moon. So Abraham would have spent night after night up all night, because if you worship the moon, you don't go to bed at night; you stay up and you look at the moon, because that's your god. Then God took him outside at night. Now Abraham's saying, "I've done this before." But don't look at the moon. Look at the stars. Look at the stars. Now, if you're a moon worshipper, you probably didn't know there were stars. Oh, look, there's other stuff in the sky. Look at the sky. Right? Now, what I want you to do is count them, if indeed you can. And he said, so shall your offspring be. You, know, you can count all those stars, every one of those stars. That's how many children you're going to have. That's how many people are going to say, that's my daddy. I can imagine Abraham out there, one, two, three. I've lost count now. Have I counted that one? I don't know. Uh, And he gets up the next night, they've moved. Where's Jimmy? Where's Julie? He's looking around, "That, that one was that one, that one was, oh man. And just, God has got him to change the way he thinks. And if you want to see miracles, it has to happen between your ears before anything else. You've got to see it before you see it. You've got to see it here before you can see it there. You've got to see yourself healed and healthy before you see yourself healed and healthy. Most people are waiting for something to manifest before they, they name it. That is the number one reason most Christians don't see miracles. It's because they're waiting to see the miracle before they say that was a miracle. They're waiting for the money to come in before they go praise God for the money. You praise God before the money comes in. Because it will come in. Because God's promised. And it's impossible for God to lie. You can praise God right now even if the doctor says you're going to be dead next week. Because God says, by his stripes you're healed. And that's the truth. Anything the doctor says is a lie. John 5 verse 40 says, who are you going to honour, God or man? And most Christians honour man. They honour the bank manager. They honour the doctor. They honour the person who says they're rubbish. The person who says they can't do it. The person who says you're never going to be any good. And don't honor God who says, I've created you with a destiny. I've got a calling on your life. I've got something on planet Earth to do that's so outrageous and so amazing. You're going to enjoy doing it. You're going to get paid to do what you love doing. And you're going to just enjoy life. And you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed as you go out, blessed as you come in, blessed every time you move. You're blessed by stripes you are healed I'm the Lord your healer anyone messes with you they're messing with me God is talking about how much he loves you how wonderful you are you've got to change the picture you see inside your mind if that means you've got to spend all night looking at the stars going and that's another business and that's another business or so that's another church I'm going to preach at that's another uh, million I'm going to earn and invest in the kingdom that's another whatever it is God's called you to do that's another day I'm going to live that's another day I'm going to live you've got to change the picture on your inside we had a lady come to us a number of years ago and her mother had died at the age of 44 her grandmother had died at the age of 44 her auntie had died at the age of 44 and she was 42 and she said I can think I said well, if you keep thinking that way as you think in your heart so you are you'll be dead too at 44 she said, I don't find your response very encouraging. <laughs> I says, I'm trying to help you. I said, if I just said, K Sarah Sarah, God will take in his time. I says, that wouldn't help you. I said, I'm trying to hold up your stinking thinking so we can change it. She said, what should I do? I said, I'll tell you what I'd do if I were you. I said, I'm not telling you what to do, I'm telling you what I would do if I was you. I said, I'd have a 50th birthday party right now. I'd invite all my friends over. I'd get a cake. I'd put 50 candles on the cake. I would have the most wildest, most exciting. Because I've got to see myself 50 before I can see myself 50. What do you see? You see, this is the message that people don't like. Because they like the grace stuff. They like you're forgiven no matter what. But then you say, well actually, if you want to live this stuff and enjoy the grace on planet earth, you've got to change what you think about Spend six hours a week watching EastEnders and you wonder why your life's more of a soap opera than it is the book of Acts. Garbage in, garbage out. So God has taken Abraham out for a little walk. Look at the stars. Stop thinking about it. Stop looking at that guy. Abraham's looking at him looking at his servant all the time thinking you're getting all my money and you're getting all my stuff and you're getting all my businesses I want to have a child and God's saying just let him work in the day you sleep in the day and at night time you come out and he's not about he's fast asleep stop thinking about him start thinking about your child start thinking about what's going to happen stop thinking about your past start thinking about your future and Abraham believed the Lord he believed it He said, okay, I can take this at face value, God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. If you believe it, you get the right to have it. If you believe that you're healed, you get the right to walk in your healing. Righteousness just means you have the right to have the stuff. If you believe that God wants you wealthy, you have the right to be wealthy and it will start to manifest. It's not about how good you are, it's not about how holy you are, it's not about how pure you are, it's what you believe. And Abraham believed the Lord. Believe what? You're going to have all these millions of children. And God said, right, now you have the right to have them. There's no natural law can stand against you now, because you're now in the the realm of faith. You're in a different realm now. And he said, I'm the Lord. First seven, so God said, I'm going to give you another promise. You did well with that one guy. You did well. Good, I'm going to give you another one. When When God finds someone who's willing to believe what he says, he will start giving him lots of promises. God's eyes are looking to and focus. on just belief. That's why some guys are multi multi millionaires. God wanted to give ten people million pound businesses, and God found the one guy who believed. And he said, Do you want this one too? Yeah, okay. So right, here, here's the next one, Abraham. Let's see, see how you do with this one. I'm the Lord who brought you out of, Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this whole land. He's talking about the land of Israel. And I'm going to give you this whole country. Okay? I've just given you all the stars but now we're going to just give you this piece of land. And Abraham said, rather than, I believe again, Lord, he says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I can gain possession of this? So hold on a minute, God. Hold on a minute. Just, just, Just look at Abraham for a second, right? God says, right, look at the stars. Hundreds, thousands of stars. That's how many children you're going to have. I believe. Hallelujah. And I'm going to give you this piece of land to live in. How can I know? Isn't it amazing that God can give you the big promise and you go, Yeah, I believe. And He gives you oh, this and this is the little promise, and then we struggle. God says, You're going to be a millionaire one day. I believe it. And I'm going to pay your rent for the next two months. Child, no. Oh, that can't happen. I was listening to a guy this morning, and he was reading an email he'd got. He's a preacher, and he was preaching in Australia, and he was reading an email he'd got from Australia. He'd gone to this conference in Australia, and he was talking about debt. God gave him a specific word about dealing with debt, and God was going to release people from debt supernaturally, and he was laying hands on people. And he prayed for this guy, and the Lord spoke to this guy through this minister and said that you don't see how you could possibly ever get out of this debt. It was a £40,000 consumer debt, basically, in our money. £40,000. And he was, it was just a millstone around this guy's neck. He says, but you will get out this debt for the end of this year. The very next day, he went to the bank and couldn't take any money out of his card. He was like, this is strange. He went to the bank, and he said, they won't let me take any money out. And they said, oh, you need to, ha- you need to go and see the, the manager. And he's like, well, what have I done? You know, what's happening? And am getting a bit nervous. And he goes to see the manager... And the manager says, we've frozen your account. He's like, what have I done? He goes, well, no, actually, somebody's just put 18 million pounds into your account. And he goes, well, it wasn't me. And so we've had to freeze your account because we didn't think it was you because it doesn't match your pattern. And we need to know what happened to this money. We need to trace it. So you have no account now. And for the next four days, he, couldn't, he was getting paid. He couldn't pay certain bills. He couldn't do certain things. He couldn't access his bank account. couldn't write a cheque, Anything. At the end of four days, the bank phoned him up, he went in to see the bank, and they said, we found out what happened, it was an elderly gentleman, very wealthy gentleman, and he got two digits the wrong way round on his bank account, and he paid the money to your bank account. So he said, he's on the phone, he wonders if he could speak to you, he said, we run forward on your account, and the guy said, I'm really sorry, I said, I must have caused you so much inconvenience, I've your account for all these days. He goes, no, it's fine, it's fine, don't worry, I'm just glad it's sorted. He says, is there any debts you have I could possibly pay off? He I go, well, actually, I do have this £40,000 debt over my head. He goes, consider it paid off. He says, I'll take care of that for you to apologise. Now, you couldn't have dreamt that up, could you? You couldn't have said, Right, Lord, all I want is a, a multi millionaire to accidentally freeze my bank account and then give me 40000 as an apology for what they did. Go ahead, Lord. You could never think of that. God is smarter than you. And He's got plans in place to open up doors for you you couldn't even dream of. God has got so many good things in your future but you see what happens is is when he tells us something like this we go, how can I know? And our mind goes all over the place one way all over the place another way and we start to get panicky. And one of the big reasons why Abraham was getting concerned about this land of Israel and how can I know you've given it to me is because there were already people living there. You know, I could promise you the moon you go thank you very much for the moon that's great if I say right here's the deeds to David and Beverly's house you'd go are you sure? (laughs) because there's people living there and God said you're going to have all these millions of children fantastic and this is the land you're going to live in hold on a minute God there's people living there How can I know? How can I know you're that good? How can I know you care about me that much? How can I know that I am already healed? How can I know that I'm going to live beyond 42? How can I know you're going to provide my needs? How can I know you're going to get me out of debt? How can I know that my marriage is going to be a success? How can I know that you're going to fill me with your spirit? You're going to give me the gifts that I see myself moving in? How can I know? And so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer or cow. Let's use the modern word, cow. Bring me a cow, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, and a dove, and a pigeon. Oh, we're going to have a farmyard game, God. This is great. Now, we, we think that sounds strange, don't we? <laughs> right, bring me a cow and a goat. They've got to be three years old. Don't bring me one of those two-year-old cows. I want bring those four-year-old cow. Three-year-old cow. got it? Now, we think that's really strange, don't we? And that's duh. But Abraham knew exactly what was going on because he lived in a Middle Eastern culture. And in Middle Eastern culture, when you start talking about cow, goat, ram, a age, a dove, and a pigeon, we're now talking about a covenant. We're now talking about an oath. You see, an oath in those days wasn't, I promise you, darling, I'll be back tomorrow. You swore in blood in those days. And so God says, Abraham, bring me some blood. That's what he was saying. Bring me some blood. How much blood? A cow full, a goat full, a ram full, a dove full, a pigeon full. That's a lot of blood. That is a phenomenal amount of blood. And Abraham brought them all to the Lord and cut them all in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. Now that's just one sentence, but let's not overlook that sentence for a second, shall we? There's a cow. Abraham cut the cow in half right down the middle (coughs) basically split it along the spine there is now blood everywhere thankfully he was smart, he did it outside ding dong so there we have half a cow on each side we have half a goat split in two half a sheep, there's the pigeon there's there's blood everywhere and Abraham's now covered in blood. His hands are covered in blood. He's walking in blood. He's probably ankle deep in the blood. The blood is mixing with the grass. I mean, the stench must have been out of this world. And Abraham's standing. Going, I've done it, God. Done what you said. Is this going to convince me? And God's looking at Abraham going, You are never going to forget today, son. You are never going to forget this moment in history. This is going to be a moment forever. And he's standing in the blood thinking, I'm going to to be washing my clothes for the next ten years with personal automatic. Uh, The the smell, I'm going to be sticking Vicks vapor up up my nose every day to get this smell. This is just, what am I doing standing here in the field of blood in the middle of five carcasses? He didn't cut the birds of prey in half. Now the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Whenever you seek to go on with God and secure your thinking with God, to put your thinking on the word, there's always an attack to distract. There's always. Mark, um, Mark chapter 4 says, immediately as the word is sown, the devil comes to steal. He comes sooner than immediately if he thought he could get away with it. And Abraham drove them away. You drive away anything that stops you from getting here. as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. So it's now evening time, yeah? We're now evening time. He spent the whole day creating a field of blood. He's exhausted, he's tired. And then he's standing there in the middle of the field of blood and then he fell asleep. I don't know if he fell face down or face up in the blood, but he's now a mess. He's now a stinking, bloody mess. There's blood everywhere. Cows' blood, goats' blood, rams' blood. There's blood everywhere. And he's now lying in the blood, sleeping in the blood. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, You will know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the country, not their own, they will be enslaved and ill-treated 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and you will come after with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried a good age. So God's saying, this nation is going to, all your descendants are going to live in this nation, and in the fourth generation, your descendants are going to come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And the sun had set... And darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land. So how do I know God? Well, we're going to sleep in this field of blood. And there's a smoking pillar of fire standing in the blood with Abraham and says, Now you know. How did that make Abram know? Because Abram understood what to cut a covenant means. The Hebrew word for covenant means berit. It's the Hebrew word berit and it means to cut until the blood flows freely. That's what the word means. Because in those days, what would happen is if you needed something, if you were in trouble, you would find someone who could help you and you'd make a deal. Now, rather than getting 500 lawyers and sign the contract, you would cut a covenant. So let's imagine there's a family. Let's call them the, 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 the farmer family Mr. and Mrs. Farmer, and their children, their extended family, and you know. And they're the best farmers in the country. Nobody can farm. You could stick them on dead, rotten ground, and they would make some crops appear. They were amazing. They had the biggest harvest of anybody every year. These guys were just natural farmers. Problem is, every year at harvest time, Some bandits would come down from the mountains, beat them up, take all their harvest, and go back into the mountains. So they were starving hungry. Now how many of you realise that when you're in that mess, you don't need another farmer. You need someone different from yourself. This is one of the biggest problems the church has suffered from in history and in this generation, is that we like to look to people just like us for help. So, um, we don't get the experience of someone who's different from us. And God wants church to be people who are different from each other, coming together and learning from different cultures, different ages, different groupings, different personalities, different backgrounds. Some churches, everybody's the same colour. Some churches, everybody's the same age. Some churches, everybody likes the same radio station. There's a problem there. There's a problem there. Somebody was talking about coming to Diagnam and starting a youth church. I said, I don't understand what that phrase means. I said, if it's just youth, it's not church. Church is every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Don't get me started on black church or white church, because if it's that, it's not church. Church needs to be open to everybody. And only by having people different from us around can we actually learn. And so when people were different, because they were different, that's why they formed a covenant. You didn't form a covenant with people who were just like you and liked what you liked. You didn't have to. So they were looking for another family. On the other side of the mountain is Mr. and Mrs. Fighter. And they're tough warrior children. Beat anybody up. But they're all starving hungry too, because they can't make... you know They have the best ground in the world. Just be like, tiny little potato. Like, well, that's that's dinner for everybody for next week, mum. But nobody's going to steal their food. (laughs) So the fighters and the farmers find out, you know what? We could do a deal here. We could solve both our problems. So they're going to sign a covenant together. They're going to cut a covenant together. And at the end of this covenant, there's not going to be the fighter family anymore and the farmer family. There's going to be one family. Mr. and Mrs. Fighter Farmer and Mr. and Mrs. Farmer Fighter. They're going to become one family. So how do they do that? Well, the first thing they do is they get some animals. And they chop the animals in half. And they create their field of blood. And then Mr. Farmer, as the head of the family, as a representative of the family, he will walk into the field of blood. Mr. Fighter, he will walk in, and they'll now stand in the field of blood together. And the first thing they will do is take their jackets off and swap jackets. And that's a bit strange, isn't it? But jackets in those days, the coats in those days represented the authority you had. We do that in the military today. You know, you might be a private, but if you've got a colonel's jacket on, everyone's going to salute to you because that's what the jacket says you are. The jacket tells everyone who you are. And so, by swapping jackets, when well Mr. Farmer taking his jacket off and putting it on Mr. Fighter, now Mr. Fighter is now Mr. Farmer as well. Which means if little Billy Farmer is given grief, and Mr. Fire says, Oi, son, quit it. He's got to honour him as much as he honours his own dad. Because they're now the same. They've become one. The second thing they do is they swap weapons. And they swap weapons and they say, anybody messes with you, they're messing with me. Anybody messes with you, they're messing with me. And I will fight for you as I fight for myself to the death. And everybody in both families is included in that head. So you mess with one of that family, you're messing with the whole thing. And unfortunately, the more civilized we've become as a nation, as a society, the more we've walked away from this deal. Because the more civilized we become, that's when you need 50 lawyers and, you know, to sign a contract. That's when before you get married, you write down, well, this is a pre-nuptial. this is how we're going to do this, now we're going to do this. And because we don't just say what we mean anymore. Because we're not a covenant society anymore. But back in the old days, they were covenant people, and they said it, they meant it. There was no messing now. We were now one family. You mess with me, you are messing with everybody. Do you know the only society in Western civilization that still understands covenant is the mafia? You want to mess with me, you mess with him. we are part of the family. And so that's what happened. They became one family. They swapped swords. I'll fight for you, you fight for me. We're, we're going to fight for each other now, no matter what happens. Then they would take a knife, a sharp knife, hopefully, and they would stick the knife into the palm of their hand until the blood started to flow. Now remember, they're standing in a pool of blood. There's blood everywhere. There's blood mixing with dirt. There's muddy blood all up their legs. They're just stinking of blood, and they're just all around. Everyone's watching. And they take the knife and they cut and they cut right down, right down, scar the wrist, right down here, and now the blood's flying. And then the other gentleman takes the same knife and does the same thing. And they put their arms together, and they let the blood beat into each other's hands. My blood is no your blood. Your blood is no my blood. We're no family. Ever heard the phrase "blood is thicker than water"? Most people when they hear that phrase, "blood is thicker than water," that means that's your family, that's your kin, right? You, that means you stick you stick up for your family more than you stick up for your friends because blood is thicker than water. Well, if that's true, what's the water? What's the water? It's actually a corruption of an Arabic phrase, blood is thicker than water and milk. And what it means is when you do this with somebody, and they become your blood brother, you stick up for them more than the brother who you shared the water of the womb with and the milk of the breast with. This relationship is now more important than your actual family, because at the end of the day, you couldn't choose them anyway. And there's nobody, if they weren't given a free choice, Go, mm, you know what? I think I'll change it. No. (laughs) This relationship was the highest relationship you could be in. A blood covenant relationship. And so they would let that blood beat, then they would take a glass of wine, nice Chardonnay, and they would drip their blood into the glass of wine. And then they would eat some bread together. Why would they eat bread together? The bread was the symbol of provision. So if I give you my bread, and you give me your bread, what I'm saying is, anything you need, if I have it, I will get it to you. If I don't have it, I will make it and get it to you. If you need anything, I will take care of it. And then they drink the wine, with the blood in, to celebrate we are now one family. And there would be a celebration of the unity of these two families. And then they'd get some dirt and some grit and rub it into the cut to make sure it never heals properly and the scar is always there. And any time, you go, can can, can I need some stuff? No, so I'm too busy for you. Okay. (laughs) I'll deal with it. We're family. Blood is thicker than water. This is the most important relationship in my life. They're messing with you, are they? Well, they look a bit scary. They look a bit scary to me. This is now the single most important relationship in your life. You'll never forget that day, all the blood. None of the children who saw it would ever forget that day. Nobody would forget that day. Their souls would be anchored on that day. And God knew, Abraham, I'm going to anchor your mind on this. You are never going to forget this. And the last thing they did as they formed a covenant is they would take their hands. This is where handshaking comes from. And they would walk round each other So they were now standing in the opposite places. Because I'm now you and you're now me. And I'll act as if I'm you and you'll act as if you're me. And we will be one. There's no disunity at all now. We're one. And so God took Abraham. And Abraham said, how can I know you're going to keep your word? And God says, I'm going to swear in blood. And as you're lying in the blood, because you know what? You're not even going to swear. You're just going to fall asleep, mate. Because It's not about your ability to promise to me. It's about me promising to you. This is a one-way deal. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter if you're lying there sleeping like a baby. Let me tell you something. Here's my jacket, Abraham. And from now on, you're going to be called Abraham. And God says, you know what? From now on, I'm the God of Abraham. And we read that wrongly. We say, oh, the God of Abraham. That means the God over Abraham. That means the God who tells Abraham what to do. No, um, what that means is, think Old English. Think Game of Thrones. Not like any of you have ever watched that because you're all too holy. But it says, I am of the house of such and such. Think Lord of the Rings. I'm the house of this, the house of Gondor. God says, I am God of Abraham. My house. You want to know who my family is? I am from the family of Abraham. You mess with him, you're messing with my family. Now Abraham thinks I can live anywhere in the world. No. Anyone tries to kick me out, there's God standing behind me. Oi, you messing with my boy. Because if you are, you're messing with me. Anything you need, anything you need, I'll provide it. Anything. You're missing it, I'll make it for you. How easy would it be to now believe that he could have a child? And God says, you need anything, I'll make sure you get it. A hundred percent, this is a blood covenant deal. I cannot break this. I cannot go against this. This is everything to me. And God told Abraham that to anchor his mind, to answer the question, how can I know? So when you have the same question, I I, I know God wants to heal me, but how can I know? I know God wants to provide for me, but how can I know? I know God wants this to be a success. I know God's called me to do this, but how can I know? God comes back to the same thing. He says, it comes back to the blood covenant. It comes back to the oath. And you see, what happened was, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood and he took the glass of wine and said, "This is the new covenant in my blood." In other words, anybody in the world who believes in me, anyone messes with them, they're messing with me. It says you have the robe of righteousness, doesn't it? Isaiah talks about we a robe with a robe of righteousness. Where did we get that from? We got that from the covenant. Jesus took off his robe, his life, his goodness and put it on us. He said, anything you need, I'll provide. Every time you take the communion bread, anything you need, God will get it to you. If he has to create it, he'll get it to you. He's sworn it in blood. He's sworn it in his son's blood. How can you forget that? How can you doubt that? His own son's blood. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. How could you ever doubt that you're ever forgiven again when he's your covenant brother? And then at the very end, he takes your hands and he walks around. I became sin who knew no sin. I stood here. I became sick with all sicknesses so that by my stripes you are healed. I became sin with all sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. I took the shame of the cross so you could be honoured I gave up my sonship. I died on the cross saying, my God, my God, not my Father, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you never have to be forsaken. You never have to be abandoned. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you've done. I will never let you go. Sworn in blood. Tell me the first Samuel 20. Saul is the king and Saul's basically a nutter he's just gone off his trolley, he's still the king, he's the king of the people but he's gone off his trolley and um, he tries to kill David several times because people are going, oh yeah, Saul's killed his thousands but David's killed his tens of thousands and so Saul's jealous, he's corrupt and really Saul is falling apart and he's tried to kill David several times and David runs off and escapes and in verse 20 says David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan Jonathan was Saul's son so he's, he, you know, if dad's a king he's a prince yeah? so this is Prince Jonathan this guy is next in line to the throne he is going to be the captain of all the armies he is going to have anything he wants he, he's the prince of the realm there's really no one in his life And David says, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father who's trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, you're not going to die. And we could cut a long story short, but basically Jonathan really admires David, and Jonathan realises his own father's just totally off his trolley. And so Jonathan says to David in verse 4, whatever you want me to do, I will do it, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing just for the sake of time, but in verse 11 Jonathan says, let's come out into the the field, because what David was struggling to believe is that if um, Saul says to Jonathan, this is the plan this time I'm going to kill David, that Jonathan would actually tell David. So David's question was the same as Abraham's, how can I know? How can I trust you, Jonathan? How can I believe that you're going to actually protect my life over obeying the instructions of your own dad? I want to know And Jonathan says to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will sound up my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he's disposed towards you, I will send you word and let you know. If he's going to harm you, the Lord will deal with me ever so severely if I don't let you know and send you away safely. The Lord will be with you as he's been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so I may not be killed. And do not cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So in other words, Jonathan noticed that David was bold, he was a man of faith he knew God was on his side and he thought if Saul's messing with David Saul's in trouble Remember David was the guy who killed Goliath How come David killed Goliath And none of the other guys killed Goliath. Because all the other guys were looking at Goliath. They were thinking about the problem. They were looking at the problem. They couldn't see victory on the inside. But David, when he heard the Goliath, he said this. He asked this question. It's in 1 Samuel 17. He said, what does the man get who kills the giant? Everyone else is thinking giant. He's thinking giant slayers reward. And they say, well, the king's promised three things. First you get to marry the princess. Then you never have to pay taxes again, and then any debts you have are going to be cancelled. I'm not sure David was possibly 16, 17 at the time. I don't know how many debts he had. I don't know if he understood taxation. But don't tell a 17 year old boy if you kill that giant, you're going to get to marry the princess, because he's going to kill 100 giants to get that way. You know? So he says, Right, I'm going to do this giant. And I was just so arrogant. You're so... He says, He comes to the giant. He says, You uncircumcised. Philistine hold on a minute David what's circumcision got to do with anything why are you mentioning circumcision right now, you're about to kill a giant because eventually if you read Abraham's life, circumcision became the sign of the covenant, the proof of the covenant, so David's saying I'm in blood covenant with God you're not so I don't care how big you are because God's on my side so I don't care if there's 100 of you. In fact, he goes down and picks up five stones. Not because he was afraid he was going to miss, but because Goliath had four brothers. You know, I'll take on a lot of you. You and you whose army? I don't, me and God. I don't need an army. And so Jonathan watched all this happen and thought, this guy knows his stuff. And now my dad's trying to kill him. What an idiot. So Jonathan's now saying, David, just don't kill me when God gives you the whole kingdom. Verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David enemies account. Why did Jonathan make the covenant? Because David said, how can I know? How can I trust you? Because that's your own dad. He said, right, I'm going to enter a relationship with you that is a stronger blood relationship than even the relationship I have with my own father. God has entered into a relationship with you that is the number one relationship. So David and Jonathan are now in the blood doing all that stuff. Now imagine if there's the prince of the realm says, Anything you need, I'll provide it. David's in a good place. But at the very end of the ceremony, they turn around and they swap places. So now David has legal right to become the next king. Because he's now in covenant with Jonathan. He's now a prince as much as Jonathan's a prince unfortunately Jonathan's life doesn't end up very well because Saul dies and Jonathan dies. And David then becomes the next king. And all of Saul's household, they run off in terror. Because King David's coming. And Saul hated David, and David is, now Saul's dead. David's now the king. If you're in Saul's family, you're dead. God, David's going to kill you. David's a monster. David's horrible. Run, run, run. And they run, and one of the servants has got Jonathan's son in her arms, and she's running so quickly, she trips and falls, and she basically shatters the boy's legs, and he's a cripple for his whole life. And his name is Mephibosheth. And so he grows up his whole life in the kingdom terrified of the king. Terrified. The king one day is going to find out who he really is and slaughter him because he's been told the king is a monster. Turn me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And you see, this is a picture. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that the things that happen in the Old Testament are pictures to admonish and encourage us. So David asked, let's just go back to 8.15, David ruled over all Israel, doing what was just and right. So David was now the king, his kingship had all come to happen, the whole nation has now accepted him as king, it's years later, this baby's now grown up, David's an older man. And David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David is waking up in the morning looking at that scar on his arm and saying, I made a blood promise to this man that I would provide for him and love him and care for him and fight for him and now he's dead. And I can't. And it's frustrating me. Surely he must have some family somewhere I can do something good for now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba and they called him to appear before David and the king said, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. In other words, I'm, I'm serving you now. But don't, 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 don't go back to that Saul star. I'm on your side, man. And the king said, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Zuba answered, He's at the house of Makir. Doesn't even have his own house. Son of Amiel. In Lodabar. So the king had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. Now, when a king says, Let's just go and fetch that person. That's not like asking one of your boys to go and get one of the other boys for dinner. This is the king here. This is King David. We're talking chariots and armies. Now you and man, you lived your whole life. I'm crippled because of this king. This king has messed up my life beyond belief. And now the chariots are going. Oh, I'm going to hide from the chariots. Where, which way are the chariots going? Oh no, they're coming here. Why would they come here? Well, I don't know. Maybe because you're the son of Jesus. Oh, oh, I'm, you know, all his friends have deserted him. He's there on his arm. They turn off the door. King David wants to see you. Well... It's going to happen sooner or later. So they get the, the guy and they bring him back to David. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. So he said, like, Who? Oh, your servant, he replied. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said. Something about this man's body language, the way he bowed, the way he spoke. David looked at him and said, this guy's terrified of me. Don't be afraid. For I will surely show kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now here's something amazing. David has a scar. Mephibosheth doesn't have a scar. He never had to cut himself. He never had to stand in the blood. He never had to have the, you know, go and take a hundred baths to get the blood out of his toenails. But he got all the benefits of his father's covenant. Now, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't cut the new covenant with us, he cut the new covenant as us. So, in this story, as a picture, David represents Christ here. David is saying, I'm going to make a deal with you. Sorry, David represents God. Jonathan represents Christ. And the Father and the Son make a covenant in the Son's blood. And the Son is nailed to a cross and becomes sin so that we who knew no sin we who knew sin could become the righteousness of God because he who knew no sin became sin shed his blood on the cross set a new covenant up with the Father in his blood but if anyone believes, if anyone is in Christ they're a new creation the old is gone, the new is gone so now Jonathan's son Mephibosheth lived his whole life as a beggar lived his whole life scared of God the Father lived his whole life, why am I a cripple? because God crippled you to show his glory. To show how amazing he is. Not realizing. that All that time. He was in covenant with the father. He was in covenant with the Father. He, that he Anything he asked for, the Father would have given him. Anything he could have... Uh, ten years ago, he could have gone, David, I need this. And David would have been honor-bound to provide it. There was no way he could have not provided it. And most Christians live scared of God. Most Christians think God's out to get them. Most Christians, when they feel God's armies and chariots coming to them, get terrified. Oh, the presence of God. I've got to repent of every sin I've ever committed. Oh, I've got to God. And what they don't realize is God... Is is coming after you not to kill you but to bless you to love you to help you to lift you up to give you glory to give you grace so we're like Adam in the garden I've messed up so I'm going to hide and sit here naked and there's God coming in the garden and you're running away from God and God's going where are you? God's hunting you down but he's not hunting you down to kill you he's hunting you down to clothe you to restore you to lift you up and there's Mephibosheth, a beggar living in someone else's house with no items of his own crippled, unable to walk and David says don't be afraid I believe if God walked into this room right now that would be about the number one thing he'd say to most people don't be afraid why have you listened to all that religious garbage look at the scar. I died for you. I gave my blood for you. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Do you know that God shows us kindness for the sake of Christ? That our righteousness is His righteousness. That because of what He did, God is kind to us. We don't get blessed with how we deserve. We get blessed with what Christ deserves for I shall supply your needs according to your needs. Oh no, it says, I will supply your needs according to my riches in glory. That's above and beyond. That's above and beyond. Go outside and look at the stars. Lift your imagination, people. God loves you. And He's looking at you today and He's going, Why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. And so David is saying, I'm going to show kindness to you. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. Well, who's Saul a picture of here? Adam. He was. The man who was called to be king and gave up his kingship because he listened to a talking snake. Saul was destined to be king but he gave up his kingship because he listened to the people. He listened to lies. He listened to fear. He listened to pressure. He listened to a demon and tried to kill David. Everything Saul had, I'm giving back to you. Do you know in the cross, everything Adam lost is ours now? You have dominion. You have authority. We should be living days of heaven here on earth. We should be living paradise on earth. Why? Everything has been given back. Why? Because God and the Son formed a covenant. And when you're in the Son, you get all the benefits of the covenant. You didn't have to go through the covenant. You didn't have to shed your blood. You didn't have to die on a cross. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. You win, get all the spoils, but you don't have to be in the fight. You may have had this illustration before but it's a great illustration definition of a conqueror it's a guy who goes 12 rounds with mike tyson wins the fight and gets the two million pounds prize money he's battered he's beaten he's got you know, he can't see because his eyes are so i've just won i've just done it there's mike tyson i've just done it and he's about to go to hospital for the next month but he's got the money he's a conqueror definition of more than a conqueror is his wife walks up gives him a kiss on the cheek takes the check i'm off shopping <laughs> That's more than a conqueror. She got the benefit of the battle but was never in the battle. You got the benefit of redemption, and didn't have to do anything for it. And yet most of the church is still trying to make us do something. Trying to make a Christian do something to earn a blessing, or tell a Christian go oh, to do this to get healed, or do this to be prosperous, is the same as taking the wife and saying, If you want that money, you get in there and fight him. We don't have to fight. Jesus has won the battle. Mephibosheth bowed down like a good Christian and said, what is your serpent that you should notice a dead dog like me? I'm surprised they haven't made a song out of that, I must admit. (laughs) It amazes me with all the Christian songs that you get today. You know, Amazing Grace. I love that song. Well, you saved a wretch like me. No, you you are a saved wretch. Therefore, you're not like a wretch anymore. Problem is, if you tell someone they're a wretch, they go out and live like a wretch. You're not a wretch anymore. There's a I'm just a dead dog. Whoa well, is me. I'm a nothing. I'm a dead dog. And if you read 8b, you'll see David's response. Oh, there is no verse 8b because David doesn't even bother responding. Well, sometimes you pray for, I don't know if God answered my prayer because your prayer was stupid. He's, he's, he's being nice to you by not answering it. You spend an hour praying, I'm so rubbish, God, I'm so useless, I'm so helpless, I'm so... R- uh-uh. What do you want God to do? Say, yeah, you're right, you know. <laughs> I tell you what, that's the quickest way to deal with false religious humility. Just agree with them. You know, someone comes up and sings a solo in the church and you go, that was a beautiful solo, sister. Oh, oh no, it was nothing. It really was quite average. And now you mention it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You watched them. <laughs> you know, I just go... Someone came and preached for us a couple of years ago. I said, that was a great message. That really... It was all the Lord. I says, really? Because you could have stayed at home then. We just sat down here. You, really? Really? so this guy's praying I was your servant I'm just a dead dog I'm just a dead dog and the king summoned Ziba Saul's servant and said I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so someone else is doing the work and you're getting the harvest that's what God wants for your life that's too good to be true well done welcome to gospel thinking I'm a fibber chef, grandson of your master. You will always eat at my table. So, all this stuff's going to be yours, but do you know what? You don't even need it because I'm going to make sure you eat with me. Now, on dinner with me, Can you imagine what kind of crockery was at the king's table? Can you imagine how good that would have been. gold knives and forks I don't know it would have been the king's table I mean David's son Solomon had so much money the silver just throwing the silver in the backyard like stones had so much of it these guys were loaded he's gone from beggar to king just because he realized who he was just because someone shed their blood it may have been that some of these other people it says the next verse says Ziba had like 20 sons and 15 daughters so now all of Ziba's family you're now the servants of this guy I can imagine a couple of those lads got a bit annoyed about that. I'm working all day. What makes you so special? Who do you think you are? Mephibosheth could have said, you know, if you look at me, you're not going to find anything special. I'm just Mephibosheth. I can't even walk. I've spent my whole life living like a beggar. I don't even know which cutlery to use. I'm not even sure. I thought the fork was scratching my back with, man. You know, this is all new to me. I've got to sit at the king's table. Some of this stuff I've never even seen. Some of these foods, I don't know what they are. But I'm not special. But next time you walk past the king, just take a look at his hand. Take a look at his wrist. Because you'll see the scar on his wrist. And that scar says this table is as much my table as his table. Because that scar was shed in blood with my family. And now I'm part of the king's family. I'm his son and he's my father. We're now family. In fact, this relationship, this blood relationship we have is stronger than any other relationship he has. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got to do with the scar in him. The devil comes to you and goes, why do you think you're in so What makes you think you're all that? What makes you think you deserve a promotion? What makes you think you deserve that? Nothing if you look at my Jesus, scars on his hands. Because he paid the price for me. He made me righteous. He gave me all the rights he had. He restored to me everything Adam has. So I am going to live on earth like heaven on earth. I'm going to live in paradise on earth. If you've got a problem with that, take up with Jesus. Because I didn't put me there, he put me there. That's what God wants for you. I passed my driving test last November and I love driving I was very concerned because I knew God wanted me to plant church in Guildford, Watford we're about to start church in Peterborough and Colchester I'm thinking I'm going to be on the road a lot but you know what from the second I got in a car since the day I passed my test I love driving and I never thought I'd ever say that and I've never been someone who likes cars I've never been a car person oh yeah people have the cars all oh, this cars are there's whatever Now, because Amanda's still up in Telford, well, actually, she's in Wolverhampton, has to get to Telford every day, which is about 20 miles. And because I'm coming down and going up, I needed to hire a car for this weekend. So the trustees of the church said, yeah, we'll take care of that. So I needed a big car, because on Monday, I'm driving Dwayne and um, Sue down from Telford. So I went to the car at the garage, and I phoned them up, and I hired a Mondeo. I thought, that's quite a reasonable car, a nice Mondeo, and there we go. It's got enough boot size. So I get to the garage today, and first of all, just for whatever reason, they took £70 off the bill. I was like, you've undercharged me. No, that's what we're going to charge you. Okay, fine. Do I deserve that? No. But He's my provider. They then said, we're really sorry, we've run out of Mondeos. And they gave me this Hyundai. This thing boots up like a computer. Turn on. Beep, 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 doo doo doo. It's like driving. I just, I've had the greatest time driving. I didn't want to stop. I've just had the greatest time. I I, I might still be driving around at 3 o'clock in the morning tonight. I might just go around the M25 all the way around just for fun. I'm having so much fun. I'm like, Lord, this car is amazing. And Jesus inside me is going, You should see the car I want you to own. And I'm like, man, I've got a chokehold here. I need to go out there and go into some stars again. So I think I've shared with the other two... I don't know if I've shared... I haven't shared this here. I've shared it with the other two network churches. But something happened to me three weeks ago. I was down in the gym. And I was, um, I was on the treadmill, on the stairs, on one of the gym equipment. I, I, as I've been doing the gym, I've been listening to Andrew Womack's series, Don't Limit God. And so the first down, down the gym, I listen to the first message. And I think, those messages, they're about long enough for one gym session. So I'll start and I'll finish when the message finishes. And the first message was good. And I thought, it was a good message, Lord, but it's not really got me. You know, I mean, I've enjoyed it, but th- why have you told me to listen to these? So I listen to the second one, the second day. I'm like, this is okay, it's okay, I'm going to keep with it. The third day, Andrew's talking about fear. And he was sharing his testimony, how fear limited God's in his life and the stuff God had called him to do and how it wasn't a fear of failure I started off with a fear of failure fear of failure almost stopped me starting the church in Dagenham I thought what if this church fails and all those people who went to Bible college would have a good laugh and what if you know, the kingdom is disgraced and what if people don't want to know about church because I started a church and it messed up and I almost didn't and God had to deal with that three years ago I really deal with that in my life Great man of faith that I was, and God had to show me a revelation. And He had to take me right back to what Jesus said to the disciples. He said, Don't rejoice that you cast out the devils, rejoice your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And He says, If you rejoice because the church is growing and this and that, and that's all wonderful, and people are getting saved, and the devils are getting cast out of people, and marriages are being restored, and people are healed, He says, Rejoice in that. But your true rejoicing, your highest level of rejoicing, must always be your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're going to heaven. Because otherwise, if all that makes you happy is that, and something goes wrong with that, you're going to be sad. But your joy is in heaven. So, you know, I started that church, and I said, I don't care if this church fails. I honestly meant it. And one of the easiest ways to make believing for something easier is to face the fact of what will happen if it fails. You know, get cancer. The doctor says you're going to be dead in a year. Well, the easiest way to believe for your healing is first of all, deal with the fear of the thing by going, who cares? Really? I'm going to be in heaven in one year's time there was a lady I know she needed a heart transplant she was dying but they, they barricaded me from getting into the room and praying for her 50, 40, she, that man is not coming in here and pray. I'm going I'm going, I'm not staying around this earth for another 30 years I'm going to heaven now and she passed away, would not let me lay hands on her <laughs> that, that's fine by me you know, get the pay- you have not paid your mortgage again, you're going to be homeless. Do you know, is it really that bad if you live under a bridge for the next 20, 30 years? A billion years from now, after you've lived in your mansion for a billion years, do you really think you're going to care about 20 years living under a bridge? You know? So you look at the heaven and you can face any fear. So God has shown me how to deal with a fear of failure, but what's been holding me back now has been a fear of success. I couldn't get my head around that, and as Andrew shared his testimony, God showed me. He said, "There is a, a fear in you that if Tree of Life Church becomes everything I've promised you, that you're going to change, and you don't want to change. You don't want to become like some of these pastors. You don't want to have bodyguards." I said, "You're right." I said, "That terrifies me. I'm going to become one of those." And I, I use the word I can use it in my conversation with God because He's robust enough to deal with it. I said, "I don't want to become one of those guys. That's not what I want to be. That's not what I'm about." And God says, Well if you're scared about turning into them, that's gonna hold you back from doing everything I've called you to do. And I started to cry, and I was I, mean, I was already a sweat bottle, on treadmill. I'm not crying, I'm like, oh God, I love you so much. And he started showing me some of the stuff that's gonna happen. The next day at Tree of Life Dagnum, we had seven new families suddenly turn up. I was like, where'd they come from? God says, now you're ready, you're ready for it, you're ready, it's coming. And certain things have happened. And I've been at Grace and Faith this week. And it's been a change. A total change. I I walked down. I was in in the queue for the toilet today. This morning. After the middle of the service. And i got Wendell Parker. I want to have a chat with you. I'm like, that's crazy. But it's exciting. And somebody else came up to me in the same queue. I can't go to the toilet. I'm on now. It was like like a drug deal. He goes... I hear you're the guy for Guildford. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm the guy for Guildford. I can get any Guildford you like, mate. And what kind of Guildford are you after? And he says, no, he says, I, I live in Guildford. I'm trying to find a church that teaches this stuff. I says, well, I teach this stuff. He's like, really? I says, yes, I do. So I turned around, and there was that youth pastor from Dagnam Lee. He was there. I said, Lee, come here. So Lee's now coming up. Like, what is it? I goes, tell this guy. Is, do we teach this stuff? And Lee said, I've been three years at Caris. I worked for Andrew for a year. He says, I'm now the youth pastor. He says, it's the only church I've ever been to where I don't have to go away afterwards and say, no, Lord, is there any doubt or unbelief I've picked up today? Just show me. He said, I've got it. And the guy went, really? I said, really? I said, really? tell you what, you don't have to come and stay forever. Just come once and give it a try. Oh, okay. You know, I was at the table today just before the service started I got another text from another lady I'm interested in church I got an email from another lady in Guildford this week and she said I've just discovered the full gospel that Christ has done it all is that what you teach? it looks like that's what you teach on your website I said I teach that I said what do you mean by that? so I told her what I meant she said you sound like this guy I'm listening to all the time he's called Arthur Menches. do you know him? I like Arthur's my friend. He just preached in Guildford. She said, I knew I should have started coming earlier. <laughs> it's just everything the last week. Just, but why? Because what's inside me has changed. And you can't change the barriers on the outside because they're actually on the inside. And how do you change them? By becoming fully persuaded. Let's close with Romans 4. But you are called to eat at the king's table. That should sort out any provision issues you ever have. You don't get better provided than the king's table. Let's start at verse. Ooh, ooh. Let's start anywhere. Start Romans two if I was feeling up to it. Now well, let's wrap this up. Verse eighteen. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So God spoke to him and said, you will be the father of many nations. And it says, he against hope, in hope, believed. That doesn't sound very sensible, does it? Against hope, in hope. Hope, in the New Testament, basically means a positive picture, or a picture of the future. Okay? It's a picture of the future. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So you have to expect something before you can believe it's going to happen. You have to have a picture of it. Well, Abraham stood there with two pictures of his future. There's picture number one. That servant is going to have my farm and be the owner. I'm going to be dead. There's going to be nobody on planet Earth who ever looks like me again. My lineage is gone. My name is gone. It's over. And there was the other picture. God said, I'm going to have a child. God said, Oh, these stars. God said, I'm going to be the father of a multitude. God said, My children, I can't even count them. They can't even count how many of Abraham's descendants Hitler killed. And there's still more alive than what Hitler killed. Father of multitudes of multitudes and multitudes of multitudes. But for that to happen, it didn't just happen. It wasn't like God just went, bleh, you've got it. Abraham had to choose against hope. I resist this picture. I don't allow this picture to dominate my life. When that guy's awake, I'm going to sleep because I don't want to see him. But I'm going to create a new picture in my mind. I'm going to walk the star. I'm going to walk the streets at night. I'm going to walk the fields at night. I'm going to look at the stars and I'm going to say, this is what I believe. I believe what God said whatever's going on in your life, what has God said? What has God said? Can God get you out of debt in a day like he did for the guy in Australia? Yes, he can. What has God said? He said, I will supply all of your need. So there's a picture there of your life in need. It's always going to be the same. I'm always going to live in this horrible little house. I'm always going to live in this place. I'm never going to get to move forward. My life is never going to be a success. My business is never going to take off. My things are never going to work. Or oh, is this what God said? God says you're the head and not the tail. God says you're more than a conqueror. God says whatever you put your hand to will prosper and will succeed. What are you going, which hope are you going to go with? Which picture are you going to stand with? Because against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became. You can't become until you believe. And you can't believe until you stood against one picture and embraced another. And then when the picture comes, you think this is too good to be true. How can I know? you go back to the scars on his hands and you say, this is how I know because my God became flesh and then allowed that flesh to be broken, to be abused to be ripped apart, to be bloodied and put a crown of thorns on his head and there's blood coming out of his skull they ripped his beard off his face there's blood coming off his face he's got nails in his hands he's got nails in his feet he's been whipped and whipped and whipped that he doesn't even look human anymore and someone goes, how do I know God loves me? Because God so loved the world, He gave you son. How can I know God's going to give me some money here, get me out of debt? Because if He gave you Christ, how much more will He not give you all things? How do I know God's going to sort my marriage out? Because He said, the days of your marriage are going to be days of heaven on earth. How do I know God is going to give me the family I want? Because He said He will set the solitary in families without weakening in faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was 100 years old that Sarah's womb was also dead she was 90 so when, they, when Abraham was 30 and she was 20 they couldn't have children they didn't have the bits working then and now he's 100 and she's 90 and God turns up and goes guys you're going to have a baby Abraham's not thinking I can't have a baby he's thinking I'm I going to do the stuff that makes a baby <laughs> That's what the phrase, his body was as good as dead, actually means. Yet he did not waver through unbelief. Didn't waver. Didn't go back here and back here. Why? Because his soul was anchored. What was it anchored on? The oath. The promise. The blood sworn promise. And was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded, fully anchored, that God could do what he promised. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, but raised to life for our justification. Or you could say it like this and still do justice to the text. He was raised to life to give us righteousness, to give us the rights. The rights to what? The rights to anything God promised that's what his blood bought for us. All the promises are yes and amen in him. It's done. It's done. It's done. Whatever you're believing for, all you have to do against hope, get rid of the negative picture. Don't let it in your mind. And if you've got that lady who comes around your house once a week and puts that picture in your mind, stop inviting her around for a few weeks. You're working on something. You're changing a picture in your mind. At the moment I'm losing weight, I'm doing very well. A couple of people come to me, oh, you'll never keep it off, you never Fine. You're just not part of my group that I talk to about my weight loss anymore. You're just disconnected from me at the moment because I'm working on changing my picture and I'm not having you paint the negative picture in my brain. Only people who paint positive pictures are allowed around here. Someone tells me, you're going to die this, you're going to die that, you can just get lost. We're dealing with a lady at the moment in Dagenham and she's dying of cancer in the natural. And it's hard work showing her the scriptures as when one of the people in her family comes around her house. You know why you've got that? Because God says it's because you haven't sorted this relationship out. God says you've got that you haven't done this and you haven't done that. I says do yourself a favour and ban them from coming around the house. But they're this, they're that. Yeah, and when you've manifest your healing, you can go and visit them. I'm trying to give you an extra 20 years with them for the sake of giving a few weeks without them. Oh, get the people who are speaking negatively your life out. Bad company corrupts good character. And then in hope, create that picture. Do what you've got to do to create that picture. I've told some of you this, but I've got a cork board by my bed at night. I've just got pictures of little things on it that I'm believing God for. And so first thing in the morning, I look at that board. Oh, thank you Lord for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Last thing at night, that's what I look at. I call it my dream wall. And it's just got stuff on it. And I just, why? Because I want to produce that picture. Because you've got to see it before you see it. I got an estate agent to show me around a building the other day in Dagenham. If we got it, it would seat 3,000 3, people. It's huge. And so he's talking about this and that. And he goes, "There's not many ministers have this kind of money in the bank, you know." I said, "I don't have a penny in the bank for this, mate." And he's like, oh, "What am I doing showing you around?" I says, "Trust me." I says, "My." He says, "I've heard that before." I says, "Not from me, you haven't." Says, God wants us to have a building, he gets us to have a building. And he's rolling his eyes at me, this estate agent. But you know, he'll see. You know, and if he decides not to help me, I'll find an estate agent that will. It'll be like the Seed Pretty Woman, where they don't believe she's got the money, you know, and they don't believe she's got the really cars, and then she comes by, oh, okay, you know. I would never do that at the end. I'd never come back and rub it in these Well, maybe I would. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But really, it's, it's, it's a done deal. Let your imagination soar. And then when your imagination soars to the point where you can't believe it, you're just starting to move into what God has for you. You can believe, you can do it, and you haven't understood what God's dream for your life is. Multiply it by ten, and you're probably about right. And then your mind goes, how can I know? Because of the scars. That's how. Because of the blood's worn of. And you come back to that, and you don't let go of that, and you let your soul be anchored on that, and then when you're fully persuaded, you will see everything God has for you. Healings, miracles, not just in your life, but everywhere you go. Sitting on the train, laying hands on a sick, seeing them recover. So much money that, you know, when I need the building in Dagenham, I say, oh, we need three million pounds for Dagenham. I just phone up three of you and say, guys, can you give me a million each? Yeah, of course we can, Pastor. Easy. God wants you, the head, and not the tail. Some of you need to do a little bit of dreaming, a little bit of research and dreaming. Who's the richest man in Watford? How much does he want Because if he's not born again, the head should be a Christian. Why can't it be you? Oh, I can't. I. Stop choking. Get yourself fully persuaded. God would rather you had the money. God would rather the money was used to extend the kingdom rather than to argue for stolen rights or something ridiculous. You know? God wants you to be in abundance absolute abundance. How can I know? He died for you, gave up his life, his abundance. Faith comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come to give you abundance. Let's stand to our feet, let's pray. Father sometimes things happen you promise us things you say this, this, this and we think how can I know Lord right now through the spirit of wisdom and revelation paint a picture in our minds Holy Spirit we give you the liberty to paint a picture in our minds of Jesus' death and resurrection, the blood that was shed for us so that we can know that we can against hope, in hope, believe and that we can be fully persuaded and we can see everything you've got for us. Now, we're not just going to have a dream. We're going to live the dream. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thanks for coming, guys. Hope you enjoyed it.